Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Yes, indeed. Hi there. Welcome in. It is Downtown Podcast, episode number 122. Great to hear the dulcet tones of Don Morgan introducing the podcast as he does our daily show. But I always hate to talk. My voice seems so inadequate after Don's basso profundo. I got over that after about the third year of working with him here in the building. And my, I just went, well, it's just Don. It's, it's okay. Right. It's just Don. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's great. We appreciate Don doing that for us here. Welcome in. It is the podcast. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We come to you from those Zone Radio studios that Don mentioned in Bangor, Maine. It's where we do our daily program downtown Monday through Friday, 4 to 6 in the afternoon Eastern Time. On the Zone Radio stations of Maine, streaming audio available on our website at downtownwithrichkimball.com. Two very fun conversations for you this week. A little bit later on, actor Jonathan Sheck from That Thing You Do, frequent visitor to our radio show, will talk with us about life during quarantine, a funny little league story, doing a little coaching, and uh, also we'll talk about his new movie, Blue Ridge. But first up... What a very interesting person. You, you never, ever know until you talk to somebody, and you can look online and see what they've done, but to, to really dig deep and find out about them. And uh, we learned what a fascinating person Angela Cartwright is. Now, you know her, of course, from The Sound of Music. She was Brigitte, uh, Lost in Space with our friend Bill Moomy, The Danny Thomas Show, Make Room for Daddy, uh, for many years. But But she spent many more years as a very talented artist, taking photographs and making jewelry, clothing, and is really a remarkable and interesting person. We had a blast talking with Angela Cartwright. Hello, Angela. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Rich. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Well, I'm good. I've already been to a wedding this morning by Zoom in England. Wow. <laughs> yeah, my cousin... Um, has gotten married and we were, my whole family was able to join in by Zoom. So I've already had a, a good morning. That's wonderful. You've accomplished much more than I have today, but, <laughs> but that's okay. I've, you know, there's a time difference. So I've got a, I've got a three hour lag to get caught up in my efficiency here. Well, hey, let's start with England in, in our conversation. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, you were born in England. Was it, was it Paul Newman that brought you to America? No, it was um, my parents looking for the American dream. You know, they were um, war babies and were war, war adults, I guess, or, you know, they were in their 20s. And uh, they got married and always dreamed of coming to America. So we immigrated here, um, never imagining for a moment that show business was something that was on the horizon. So uh, it wasn't Paul Newman, but... I think it was fate, and I think uh, it was quite an amazing journey that I've already had, starting at, at age three. Well, yes, and that first film was uh, alongside Paul Newman, and somebody up there likes me. Right. I got to play Paul Newman's daughter. <laughs> Not many people can say that. Um, yeah, with uh, Pierre Angeli, who was my mom, and I had a couple lines. I, I was... Um, I was uh, four years old. 
no, I was three years old then. Um, and I had these, uh, oh, mommy, it's only daddy when he walks in. It's a story of Rocky Graziano, right. the fighter. And uh, after that, I got stabbed to death by Sidney Poitier in Something of Value. Uh, that was a movie with Rock Hudson. Um, but I was behind a curtain when I got stabbed. <laughs> it wasn't a traumatic beginning in my showbiz life. Um, and, you know, I, I just I modeled as a little kid. Uh, it just kind of was my destiny is how I look at it. Um, my parents were not showbiz parents they didn't look to put me into show business my my dad worked days my mom worked nights um you know they were just a, a married couple with a couple kids veronica's my sister she's older than me and we came to america to follow the dream now i think i first became aware of you in your role for many years on the danny thomas show and i'm sure I'm sure uh, people who've interviewed you in the past have talked about their crush on you. My take was a little different uh, in that I, I was an only child, and uh, I thought, wow, she'd be a really cool sister to have. <laughs> they did give me some great lines. <laughs> um, oh, and I never talked in my family like I did on that show. You know, I would never have. I mean, I was from a British family, and we, you know, had tea time, and we were uh, not nearly as uh, vocal as that growing up, but that was really fun for me. I started that when I was four years old, and I was actually Marjorie's daughter. Um, you know, he Danny Thomas had the show for three years and married to Jean Hagen. Right. Then she wanted to leave the show. It was um, for a year he was single. And that didn't seem to be helping the ratings. So he married her off to, married him off to a very fiery Irish woman, which was Marjorie Lord. And I was Marjorie's daughter. And it just kind of blended together. A lot of people don't know that. Um, but it, you know, it, it was kind of this melding of this, this family right from the beginning. And um, that was a lot of fun. I, I loved it. I was on that show for seven years. And those were the days when you did like 26 shows a season. Right, right. And you stayed pretty close to, to Danny Thomas for the rest of his life, I understand. Um, I was. I mean, you know, when uh, we left the show, that was heartbreaking. I went into The Sound of Music. He actually let me out of the last show so that I could do The Sound of Music. I, as an adult, I didn't realize it as a child, but I was so grateful for that because... You know, contract-wise, he didn't have to do that. But, you know, The Sound of Music was certainly a wonderful next step for me. And so totally different to be, you know, like from this Austrian family instead of uh, from New York, you know, the daughter of a uh, comedian. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was great. And I was able to go into that. And then, of course, you know, what, several years later, they brought back Make Room for Granddaddy. That's right. That ran for a year. We had a lot of problems during that show. The writers strike and a, a lot of things going on. Uh, Sound of Music, I mean, it has become such an iconic film, such a classic. And I, how could anybody imagine that that all these years, we're talking what, 55 <laughs> years later now, that uh, everybody, regardless of age, knows every song from that movie. Uh, was there any inkling, even that it would have some some more legs than the average film? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. 
that this movie is as, as strong now as it was over, what, 55 years ago? Um, I know that when we were filming it, we knew we were in something special. Um, it was a, a marriage of very creative people. We, we adored Julie. Um, she really felt like she was our Fräulein. Um, I really liked Chris, though offstage he, he kind of maintained that kind of standoffish attitude, but I think that was for the kids to always be kind of wary of him, and it kind of shows. Um, he was a character. Um, when we were doing it, we had no idea that this many years later it would be such a powerful film in people's lives. I mean, I have people all the time tell me that this is the movie they put on when they're depressed or they have a um, event that they do every year for like their birthday or, um, you know, at Easter, whatever. They put on the sound of music and the whole family sits around and watches it. Um, they remember the first time they saw it where, you know, most people saw it in a theater that other generation, it's had a couple since, um, <laughs> with the red curtain, the velvet curtain that went up and you had an intermission and it was a big deal. A lot of people went with their families, so it became quite the uh, special event in their lives. It's um, I, I'm so honored to be a part of that history. That was a, a great movie to be a part of. Julie was on our show a couple of years ago, and and I, I was I was a little nervous before the interview, and I'm, I'm thinking, you think of the strangest things. What do I even call her? Uh, and, and she answered the phone and said, hello, Rich, it's Julie speaking. And, and she was just so sweet and so wonderful, like I'd known her forever. And, and man, I, I was just so impressed with what a, a decent and down-to-earth person she seemed to be. Yeah, very personable. We adored her. And, um, you know, we've seen her on and off since at, at certain events. Um, and she's just as sweet and just as lovely. She was great. I, it shows in the film. I think Robert Wise, who was the director, uh, really pulled together a family that was workable. We all are still in contact with each other. We still, you know, are in each other's lives. Um, we actually wrote a book from our point of view called The Sound of Music Family Scrapbook, which has our personal pictures that our families took um, and our our thoughts and the way that, that we approach the movie and how we've maintained our friendship over all these years. You know, that doesn't always happen when you make a movie. The same things happen with Lost in Space, actually, but um, it's kind of unusual to have that close a relationship. And, you know, we've lost two of our, our members, which was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, it's like losing a family member, but the movie still, you know, marches on. We're talking with Angela Cartwright here on Downtown. Well, speaking of Lost in Space, uh, Bill Moomy was on with us a few weeks ago, and, and we talked about uh, your experiences, not only in the film, but the, your your long friendship. I, I've heard about your Christmas party. and. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about the show itself and that role uh, of Penny Robinson, where uh, you and Bill became arguably at the time the most the most famous young people in America. Uh, um, you know, I think 
Lost in Space captured the imaginations of so many people at that time. Uh, we hadn't walked on the moon. The idea of a family going to space, you know, and and meeting otherworldly creatures, aliens, whatever. Penny was far braver than me. I love history and I love adventure and discovery, but I'm not that brave. <laughs> I mean, there is no way I would walk into a cave and talk to a voice. Let's just put it that way, as Angela. But I think as Penny, that really grabbed people. They they loved that part of adventure and feeling that they could maybe have that in their lives. Um, when we went, Bill and, and Marta was with us. We went to uh, NASA uh, years ago before the Endeavor, the first Endeavor took off. And we met many NASA uh, pilots. Actually, it, they were building the Endeavor, but we saw the Discovery liftoff. Um, many of the people, the technicians that worked there at NASA, uh, told us how Lost in Space had affected their lives and how they went into the space program because of it. I mean, isn't that amazing? Mm. Um, and of course, that was that was like a dream come true, that whole thing. Um, and space has always kind of um, fascinated me. So, yeah, that was really cool, being on Lost in Space and doing it with such a great group of people. We had a blast, actually. It was really fun. And how great was it to get the opportunity, uh, along with Bill, to be part of the reboot of the series? Oh, I know. I mean, I am Sheila Harris. <laughs> Sheila, of course, was Irwin Allen's wife, Sheila Allen. And Harris, of course, was the great person, Jonathan Harris. So I am Sheila Harris, and I got to be the mother of Parker Posey and Selma Blair. How cool is that? <laughs> I mean, it's actually extremely cool that the the producers that are behind this new reboot of Lost in Space actually got it, actually knew the fan following we have, because we do. We have a cult fan following of Lost in Space that are very true blue fans that we adore. And they they love this show. And how great to be able to come on and, you know, play this part as as Bill played the part of Jonathan Harris, which was brilliant. Well, you I have think. you have done so many things in your life and, and acting just a part of that. Let's talk about your photography. When did you first begin taking pictures? Well, um, I always loved art. I always loved photography. My dad was a photographer hobbyist. Uh, he had a dark room that he built in the in the garage. And uh, I got interested in it probably when I was around 13, 14. They gave me a, a camera for my 15th birthday, and I never stopped taking pictures. And I used to have my friends model for me, and I used to feed them pizza. And um, <laughs> I was like, well, hey, can I do this shot of you, and I'll feed you. Um, and they always went along with that. Um, I have a gazillion pictures that I've taken over the years. And, you know, they were all analog, um, you know, where you had to go and get the, the negative developed and then you got it printed. And um, I, I've always loved photography. And in, 
this is something that happened to me because I, I love art. Art has been my savior during this pandemic. Um, it's it's a way of getting through it um, and just constantly learning and interpreting your life and how it affects you. Um, but with photography, my father was a technical artist and he could draw anything and it looked perfect. I mean, it looked just like the thing he was drawing. And I never was able really to, to do that. I wasn't, you know, art trained. I loved art when we had it on the schoolhouse every uh, Friday. If we got all our work done, it, we could have an art day and we would do all sorts of art projects. Uh, when I was growing up in the schoolhouse, you know, where I went to school either with Rusty or I went with Bill. But I found that with photography, I actually could get something to look exactly like it. And that is when I started hand painting photographs with oils. And I did that for many, many years. Um, I used to go to um, Disconso Gardens. I used to start my son off at school, which was out that way. And then I used to walk the gardens and take pictures and then hand paint them. And that really was such a great way of me expressing myself. And from that, I've gone into other, you know, avenues and digital photography. And um, it's just really been such a great outlet. And I feel everybody has art in their soul. They just have to find what it is. Is it with food? Is it with, you know, singing? Is it with, you know, music or, you know, with a paintbrush? And what inspired you to begin designing your own jewelry? I had a dream. Um, I usually dream these things and, and mull them over. Um, I saw this ladder. I saw life as a ladder. And um, climbing that ladder step by step, um, just, you know, rung by rung, we, that's what we do. We aspire to get to the top of the ladder in our lives. And so that inspired my purpose ladder, which um, I had, had made up. I sell it on my website, Angela Cartwright Studio. Um, and also this light in the window, which was my interpretation. You know, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, that's another piece I, in, I was inspired to, to do. Um, I don't know where they come from. They're just there and uh, they kind of pop out if I listen. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy that. I do design clothes also. I had a dream of putting uh, artwork onto fabric long before it was even possible. And it was very frustrating because there was no one that did it. And then finally that kind of uh, technology, you know, became real and I was able to put a lot of my hand painted photographs onto fabric and make these kind of caftan wrap things, which, um, and scarves, which people enjoy and, and I enjoy it when they wear them. Well, your art is beautiful. Uh, people can see it uh, at your website, Angela-Cartwright.com. Absolutely beautiful work there. And then uh, it all comes back around in a sense with a couple of recent collaborations with Bill Mooney again on Lost and Found in Space. And can you talk a little bit about your latest work with Bill on purpose? Yes. Um, actually, it feels like it's the latest, but it's been 20 years in the making. Um <laughs> The, the Lost and Found in Space book came together quite easily when 
we were looking through memorabilia and, and finding these pictures and and we had so many interesting stories that we would just say back and forth to each other and they were funny and the memories and we decided to put that book together and actually uh in in kind of in the stew right now is creating a lost and found in space book part two um, because there's so much more. There's all these photos that have surfaced and we have so much more we want to say. So look for that. I don't know. I hope it's not 20 years. I don't know if we'll make it that long, but <laughs> it'll be, you know, in the next couple of years on purpose, however, was a novel. It was something that was born out of stories that um, we were mulling around. Um, we, you know, we talked, with each other a lot we're we're great pals and um we started to write this book where i would write a part and he would write a part and i would write a part and it would go back and forth and we had this book that we wrote and then we rewrote it and then we tweaked it and i love this story this is a story that uh is about purpose in life and Moving forward, of course, it's, you know, these two characters, Pilwinnie and Brigham, uh, who go and try to find the purpose quest. Um, and it's their adventures. It's fun. It's a fun story. And, of course, there's good and evil and their adventures on their way to doing that. But out of that also came... A, an entire score that Bill wrote. Right. <laughs> He's so very prolific and very talented in his music. Um, he he called me one day, he said, oh my God, I've got all these songs that are just coming out of me. I can't believe it. And I, I said, whoa, that's weird because I've been painting the characters in the book. And I did um, 27 paintings of these characters. And there's a lot of characters in this book. And he also did this score that's uh, all musical. It's it's not, um, there's no, ver uh, there's no uh, lyrics, but it's a soundtrack to the book. And so that's really fun. I love those kind of collaborations. Well, and both of you have managed to express uh, your art in so many different ways through the years. I, I'm a, a high school teacher. I work with with uh, high school theater students, and and I think it's it's so important to give those opportunities to kids when they're young, but also uh, to encourage people. And what, what's the best way uh, to encourage young folks to express themselves through their art and and to not be afraid of being judged by others and not be afraid of mistakes? Oh, absolutely. There there are mistakes that happen. There's happy mistakes that happen. And sometimes you're like, oh, I love that. How did I do that? <laughs> um, you know, it's it's just a learning process. You just have to reach inside. And, um, you know, like the saying, uh, the famous saying of, you know, the writers who just uh, slice open a vein and let it all spill out. And that's kind of the same thing with any kind of art. You have to listen. You have to be able to uh, go inside and not be afraid. It is the one thing that um, I think a lot of people are afraid of. They say, oh, I know I can't draw. I can't only draw stick cover or stick figures, you know, and they they really aren't willing to to know or feel this part of themselves. And it's so so freeing and so a way of dealing with things that come up in your life. I just love it. 
I mean, the best way I think to start is to write a journal. Um, you you write, you draw in it, you you know, nobody has to see it, but it's a way of really understanding yourself. And and you mentioned that it's been helping you through the quarantine, and that's that's the beauty of it. Is well, sure other people can see it and appreciate it, but but it's yours, and and you can use it and bring it close to you when you need it most. Yeah, you can't be afraid of being judged. You know, um, you. You know, so many people, they're like afraid it's not good enough or whatever. And that's not what it's about. I mean, who are we to say, oh, this is good. This We may not like something. We may say, ah, that doesn't, that doesn't affect me or I don't feel anything when I see that. But you never know. And, you know, I, I do a five-year diary. I write a few words every night to remind me what's happened during the day or what I'm grateful for or you know, what I'm, what's going on. And I look back over the years that happened like a year ago and I go, oh my God, I forgot about that. That, look at how far we've come or look at, you know, what happened last year at this time. Um, art has definitely, because I, I think social distancing and being, um, you know, in this kind of jail, <laughs> kind of being kind of homebound, um, you know, although we all respect that um, in this family and we have, you know, we're, we want to certainly protect ourselves. Um, it is a way of getting through that because I, I really feel psychologically it's it's really unhealthy to be, you know, kind of in this shell of not going out. It's like being under house arrest. Um and it's hard because going out right now, we have terrible mosquitoes here in California, and they love me. They don't. <laughs> I, they don't love my husband. They love me. It's my sweet blood, I guess. I don't know. We have them here. But, they're um, they're like the state bird of Maine. Oh my God! <laughs> I yeah. I I have to really slather stuff on. You know, walk around with a citronella candle on my head. I mean, it's you know, it's hard. I try to go out when there's not you know, in the early evening or the early morning. Um, and that's tough because I am a person that really likes to get things done. I, I like to make every day count, uh, whatever it is, you know, maybe I'm, I'm home watching a movie, but whatever it is, I, I like to make every day worthwhile. I have a friend who uh, works at uh, the uh, Von Trapp Family Lodge, in oh in, in Vermont and and uh, wanted to know if if you've been there recently. Oh, I love that lodge. <laughs> oh, it's just wonderful. Um, I have been there. Let me see. We planted a tree. He mentioned that in memory of, of Werner von Trapp. Yes, yes. Um, that was quite the ceremony. Loved Maria. She was just a, a real light, a real spirit um, of joy played the accordion. Um, that's a lovely place. I'm due to go back. I want to <laughs> go back there again. Um, they're, they're really a lovely family uh, who came to America and fulfilled a dream. And it's a lovely place to go and get married or just go. They have these little villas there, these little houses. Yeah, that's a really cool place. So many families make it a holiday tradition to watch Sound of Music every year. Do you watch when it comes on every year, or have you seen it enough? 
Well, I have seen it a gazillion times. <laughs> I will admit it. Um, however, uh, sometimes if it's on television, I will get suckered in again. Um, and every year, except this year, sadly, uh, at the Hollywood Bowl, it is one of my kids, and my kids are grown. Uh, it's one of their favorite nights. And we go we go up on stage and, you know, welcome everybody to Sound of Music uh, sing-along. And, uh, and then we watch the movie. So I see it at least once a year there. Um, and that is such a wonderful experience. If you can ever go to a Sound of Music sing-along, it's everybody singing <laughs> together and everybody holds up their phone during Edelweiss. It's very moving. Um, I always get suckered in again, though. There's something about this movie that's really quite beautiful. And every year, and I had to cancel this year, sadly, but I'm up for it for next year, 2021. I take a group of people through craft tours uh, to the locations uh, that we shot The Sound of Music. Oh, wow. And talk about my memories and filming there and uh, if the steps are open and they're not iced over, um, teach them do re mi on the steps. I so love Salzburg, beautiful city, and it, we go at Christmas time, and the markets are amazing. It's an amazing trip, and I've always had, I've done it like four times now, always have an amazing group of people that um, just have been a joy to be with. That's a wonderful story. Uh, Angela, a delight to talk with you. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Is it over? It is over, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can keep uh, talking if you'd like. It's fine. I, I don't want to I don't want to monopolize your time today. No, I just um here I have been talking for what? Uh half hour? Um no, it's been a pleasure. I so enjoyed uh talking to you anytime. I'll let you know when something new is happening. And uh, maybe you'll talk to me about it. Thank you, Angela, so much. It's wonderful to talk with you. Thank you, Rich. Angela Cartwright here on Downtown, the podcast, talking about a life in the arts. And it's interesting, much like her friend Bill Moomy, who does everything, is involved in, yeah, sure, acting, but, but music and songwriting and art and writing books, so much. We find that with a lot of the folks that we talk about that are known in one field, we, mm. we discover that that creative outlet that they're known for is just part of an overall palette of artistic endeavors that they do. Same true with our, our guest in the second half of the podcast this week, actor Jonathan Sheck, who we were first introduced to uh, through author Richard Chismar, who had written uh, with Stephen King. and But Richard and Jonathan have done some, some script writing together. So uh, John also writing along with being a very talented actor. We'll talk with him in just a moment after this word from Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit crossinsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength.
Motown start is Jimmy Mattingly, the lead singer of The Wonders, or is it The Oneeders? In the wonderful Tom Hanks film, That Thing You Do, he's become a great friend of the show and joined us recently to talk about any number of things he's been doing during quarantine and his brand new movie, Blue Ridge. Thanks so much for visiting with us yet again. Oh, yeah, man. A lot going on in the world these days, but in your family, some very big news. Congratulations on that new addition to the family. I know. Lily's amazing. And I just finished uh, giving her a bottle and I just, it calms down. It's just like, you know, just realize like this is what life is really all about. Life. (laughs) Yeah. And I I have to think in in these stressful times and you've, you've talked about it on social media. It, It is a, it's a reminder to focus on those things that are really most important and the things that are in our control. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's all, really all we can do. Just focus on those things that we can control and, and you have to let go and uh, and let life experience let your life experience uh, dictate how much wisdom you want to give into the world. Well, that, that's a great way of looking at things. Uh, the quarantine itself, obviously it's been a, a difficult time. For performers, and uh, you, you do the best you can, but but you've been doing some work around the uh, around the plantation there, right? Around the farm, you you had a tractor doing some things. Yeah, I am. Uh, I I had an old tennis court, like it was overgrown. It had over two hundred trees. I cut all the trees out um, over the course of a year. Wow. I've been just clearing it, clearing it, clearing. Finally, what I decided to do is I'm going to turn. I, I t- took down half the fence. So there's only a half a fence. It looks like a, a little league park, you know, a backstop. <laughs> and uh, so what I'm going to do is I want to build a a little, um, not a little league field, a wiffle ball field. Oh, nice. Because um, my son's name is Camden, and uh, I got a sign from Camden Yard. <laughs> oh, that's it's perfect. Camden Yard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be a sport court where you can play basketball and you can play any kind of sport out there. That's fantastic. Well, you are. I mean, you're a baseball fan, but obviously uh, growing up there, uh, you're an Orioles fan, too. Oh, yeah. I'm a diehard Orioles fan. Cal Ripken had a birthday the other day. Who was your favorite Oriole growing up? Oh, you know, I really loved Mike Mussina until he went to the Yankees. (laughs) Um, uh, But, you know, Cal's really always – I grew up in the same area Cal Ripken grew up, and he's he's been great throughout the – my my life and you know with friends and it just Carrickin is just very unique. He's the Tom Hanks of baseball. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit older, but I I grew up obviously a Red Sox fan up here. But I always loved the Orioles, and, and I love those early '70s those pitching staffs with Dave McNally and Mike Cuellar. They were so good. Palmer, mm. McNally, Cuellar. Pat Dobson. Pat Dobson, yeah. Bobby Gritch uh, in the infield. And of course, Brooks Robinson, yeah. Frank Robinson. Doug DeSensei, Ken Singleton, Eddie Murray. Well, that was the 80s. But, yeah, man. I lo- and the Reds. Uh, Fred Lynn, Jim Rice, Yaz. You know, yeah, uh, Mike Yastrzemski was an Oriole for a while. And they That's traded right. him to San Francisco. He's doing great. Yeah, and it took him a while. I mean, he was 30, 31 years old before he really got his opportunity. But, yeah, he's he's playing like a chip off the old granddad's block there. It's great to see. I know. I know. It's really great to see. That's awesome. Yeah, people, some people just bl- blossom later in life, you know, in, in different uh, fields. I'm waiting for that to happen for me at some point. 
Me too. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Jonathan Sheck here on Downtown. Well, you have got some exciting news, though. A, a new movie release coming out. Tell us a little bit about Blue Ridge. Well, Blue Ridge, you know, it's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, last year, I I got the script sent to me. Uh, it was a friend of mine, Nick Gonzalez, who's on The Good Doctor. He uh, knew Gary Wheeler, and he said, you know, Jonathan's really great for this movie. I mean, literally, it's about a a guy who who's trying to get his family back together after uh, being away uh, overseas, and uh, he moves his well, he moves from west coast to the east coast, and in the Blue Ridge Mountains, um, he becomes the sheriff. And um, as he's trying to get his personal life together, the world, uh, the town, the small town that he's in, is like the Hatfields and McCoys, and he's he has to try to get them two together to help him solve a murder. So. I just, I just loved the script. I thought it was really clever, and uh, I just enjoyed making the movie. I related to the character so strongly. Um, my father was a Baltimore City police officer for 36 years. Um, he was a, he was the kind of officer, you know. He walked the beat. Uh, he was part of his neighborhood, and uh, he, you know, he really was the law. He was what my, we would call him Johnny Law, <laughs> um, but he did things out of his heart. You know, he, he really worked from his heart. And, it's not as crazy as it is today with all the guns, but um, you know he 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 resonates very strongly. He um, in the in the piece, so I, I just really love this movie. It's out on Voodoo. I I don't know even know what Voodoo is. <laughs> they keep telling me it's on Roku, and I'm like, okay, what's Roku? But what they told me is that Walmart basically has their own streaming, and that that's what it is. So it's on it's on um, Voodoo right now, and then it goes to um, it goes. I think it goes on sale, like DVD sales. I don't even know if they have that anymore. And then it'll come out on television at some point in, uh, next year's February release. So right now you could you could purchase it on Voodoo. It's a really good PG film, and, and you Roadhouse get house PG, <laughs> and you get to be a romantic lead too. Yeah, I haven't been a romantic lead in quite a long time. I play a lot of bad guys. Um, I played some really horrible people in the last uh, two years of my life, and I wanted to play something my son could really, you know, watch and uh, resonate very strongly with me. I'm, I was the jerk in that thing you do, and I was the I was a bad zombie in Day of the Dead and uh, a horrible human being. And then I, I have this movie called The Client List, which I'm really proud to be part of. It's such a good movie, but I'm really, really a horrible human being. <laughs> it's just horrible. Uh, casting against type, guys. obviously. Yeah. When you have little people, man, you, and you're raising them, you really want, you know, want, I want I want, to, I want to give them something to really aspire to. So. I hear you. I got, I got a six-year-old little guy at home, and I'm, I'm much more conscious of the things I do than I was before he came along. Yeah, me too, man. I know exactly what you mean. So I'm a little league coach out here in Nashville now. Well, that's I wonderful. I thought it'd be a great thing, and I have to tell you, the Uh-oh. first practice, we had the pitch machine, and one of the little boys never played before, and the first time he came up, and I kept telling him, you can't step across the plate, the ball may hit you. Well, guess what happened the second time? The oh, ball hit him. oh, man. Now, it didn't just hit him. It hit him right in his nose and broke his nose. He's oh. six years old. Oh, God. I just, I, I just, it, it, it hurt. <laughs> Yeah. It hurts so bad to see a little boy suffer um, at all, and he's going to be fine. His parents have been wonderful, but 
it's just it showed me that you know we really need to take care of the people and because before it happened i was uncertain of this pitching machine and i went out of my way to try to make sure everyone knew what we were doing with the pitching machine and it's still accidents still happen you know i have a a lighter little league coaching story years ago uh, coaching little league and and we had a, a kid who was not very good, but I want to give him his opportunity. And he had a hard time remembering which hand to put the glove on. And I said to him, I want you to go out. I want you to go out to right field when we go out in the field. Okay, coach. And he got about three steps out of the dugout and onto the diamond. And he turned around and looked back at me and said, is that right field if I'm looking out or if I'm looking in? <laughs> good time looking for daisies out there and i appreciated that that was wonderful he had he had it all in the proper perspective yeah the, the guys here at nashville you know here i am the los angeles guy to begin with the outsider just like my movie blue ridge um and you know 17 years has never happened in the league that's so exactly what the response was. oh man well, in 17 years in the league it's never happened before and i was like Oh man! <laughs> like I'm the only coach who's ever allowed that to happen. You got to be kidding! Oh jeez! Come on, this is horrible. <laughs> it's not fair. Uh, you mentioned oh, that God. thing you do, and you guys uh, did such a wonderful. I guess it was a couple of months ago now when you uh, you did an online reunion. It was so great to see all of you, and it's so clear that uh, you guys are all so tight and such great friends. But that was a wonderful time just watching that as a spectator. Yeah, that was great, right? Steve Zahn's out here in Kentucky. Um, Ethan Embry's down in Atlanta now. Uh, Tom's still back there in Los Angeles. And, you know, eventually we're all going to get together. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go to Erie, Pennsylvania. (laughs) There. Did I tell you this already? No, no, this is great. Okay, so once a year, the Erie um, Seawolves, they're called, uh, I think they're farm team for the Pirates, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they, they turn into the Erie Wonders. And um, we're going to be out there whenever, you know, baseball happens next year and have a reunion out there for the Erie Wonders. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, I can't wait to see that. That's great. And that's going to be fun. Man. Hey, uh, Jonathan, it's always good to catch up with you. Can't wait to see the movie Blue Ridge available now on Voodoo. Find out how to get it. Get your hands on the DVD as soon as it comes out. And uh, we appreciate you as always making time for us this afternoon. Stay safe. Be well. Good luck with baseball, and we'll catch up with you again very soon. Okay, man. Thank you very much. Actor Jonathan Sheck, the new movie available on Voodoo and soon on DVD is called Blue Ridge. Our thanks to Jonathan, thanks to the wonderful Angela Cartwright, and thanks to you for joining us this week on Downtown the Podcast, brought to you by Cross Insurance. For Carrie Haskell, I'm Rich Kimball. We'll see you next time. You're on Downtown.